Now, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. And let's turn one last time to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, this is kind of a special sermon for me. Because this is our final sermon in our series on 1 Corinthians. We have gone verse by verse through this book. Believe it or not, we started this book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians on August 2nd, 2020. And so, I, I thank the Lord for all of His faithfulness to us and all that He has shown us in this book. You might be sitting there saying, thank the Lord for a different reason. We're finally done with this. Right? But it has been truly amazing to me what God has done and what God has given to us through this book over the course of this past calendar year. Remember, we said way back when we started this that the theme of the book of 1 Corinthians is unity in the church. It's the theme of the book, unity in the church. That's pretty much the reason Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth. And how utterly appropriate has that theme been for us in the past year, and everything we have gone through in our world. God has been consistently reminding us through 1 Corinthians, stay together. Stay together. Don't divide over all these petty issues. Throughout this sermon series, God's Word to us has covered topics like not letting anything divide us, our unity around the gospel that we proclaim, the importance of growing up and maturing, how we as one body are God's temple. We've looked at church discipline to protect church unity. We've looked at how we should refuse to take one another to court, marriage and singleness and diversity within the body of Christ. We've looked at the Lord's Supper as an act of church unity, the importance of using our spiritual gifts for the building up of the church, and so much more. And as we come to the end of this book, I just want us to take a moment and praise the Lord in our hearts for His faithfulness to us, for everything that He has given to us through this book. I want to praise the Lord this morning and worship Him for the timeliness of this book for us in our cultural moment, but also for the timelessness of this book. This book could not have been more timely for us in 2020 and 2021, and yet it was written over 2,000 years ago. So we're praising the Lord this morning for all that He has given to us through His Word. This is a wonderful book, and it's just one of all the wonderful books of God's Word in the Bible. And so today, as we think about how this book has been good for our souls We come to a fitting conclusion as Paul's final greetings focus on the unity of the church. Let's read our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 12 through 24. This is God's word to us through the Apostle Paul. He says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. 
I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, and send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. And so ends the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is focused here on the unity of the church. And specifically today, I want to pull out seven admonitions or seven exhortations to you from Paul on what we must be doing to keep unity among our church family. Seven today. First comes in verse 13. Look at verse 13 where he says, Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith, brothers and sisters. If we want to be a united church, we must stand firm in our faith. We must stand firm in what we believe in. Our unity must be a unity based on truth that we are all committed to. Your faith is what you believe in, the truth that you believe in. Our unity must be based on a truth that we are all committed to. We unite around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we unite around the Bible as God's inspired and inerrant word. This is God's word. And there are no errors in it. It is perfect all the way through. And it governs us. It guides us. And it rules us. God rules us through it. A number of things can divide a church. One of them is when a church allows unbiblical teaching to infiltrate and infect the body of Christ. This is why in Titus chapter 1, as Paul lists the qualifications for elders, he writes this, An elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see the importance there in the task of the elders of the church to guard the church's doctrine, to teach proper doctrine, to protect the church from false doctrine, and to hold themselves firm to the trustworthy word. For our church to remain a God-honoring, united church, we must be a church that sits under and is governed by the Word of God. We've got to be a church that sits under and is governed by the Word of God. That means each individual member of our church, each of us, needs to be the kind of person who sits under and is governed by the Word of God. And so, brothers and sisters, we must all be doing this. We must all sit under it. We must all be governed by it. And not just sitting under biblical preaching every week. That's part of it, right? But if the only intake of God's word that you are getting is once a week at a church service, it's not enough to feed your soul the food that it needs. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we must be reading the Bible for ourselves, Monday through Saturday. So that we will know unbiblical teaching when we see it. 
We must be reading the Bible for ourselves so that we can be corrected by it. We can allow it to correct us. We can allow it to form us. We must be feeding on it. Our souls feeding on the Word of God. We need this, brothers and sisters. And so we must be, if we're going to be a united church, we must be a church full of people who sit under God's Word consistently, not just in church, but in our own everyday lives. And we are governed by it. Any church can say that they want unity. Any church can say that they want unity. But without the anchor of God's Word, that unity is just a moving target. Any church can say they want unity, but without the standard of God's Word, this objective standard that is outside all of us, right? Martin Luther used to call the Bible the external Word. Why? Because it's outside of us. We can all look at the same thing, right? It's objective. Subjective means in here, right? I, I have my own opinions about all of my own experiences, but this is objective. This is outside of us. And without the standard of God's Word, the objective external standard, then unity is just reduced to the opinions and preferences of the loudest voices or the most powerful group in the church. And believe me, you can have unity in any group of people around falsehood. You can have unity around unbiblical beliefs. For true unity, we've got to stand firm in the truth that we all believe in. We've got to stand firm in our faith. We must As Jude writes in the New Testament, we must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so stand firm in your faith, brothers and sisters. Let us together stand firm in our faith if we want unity as a church. But that is not all there is to unity. Look at verse 14. This is the second admonition from Paul. He says, let all that you do be done in love. Our strong stance on biblical doctrine means nothing if we don't love one another. A strong stance as a church on biblical doctrine means nothing if we don't love each other. We know that from this very book, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, where Paul says, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Love, brothers and sisters. Love must be what drives us. Love must be what defines us. If our church is known for nothing else, let us be known as a church that loves one another. In 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John writes, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And when you stop to think about it, the whole goal of biblical doctrine is love. The whole goal of having right doctrine, having orthodox doctrine, of being strong in doctrine, the whole goal of that is love. Love for God and love for others. Don't ever let anyone tell you that love and doctrine are opposed to one another. They are not. We do not have to make this false choice between being a church that is rich and strong and deep in doctrine and being a church that loves each other and loves people. We don't have to make that choice. You never should have to make that choice. Those always go together. The deeper you go into the Bible, 
The more orthodox your doctrine gets, the greater your love should grow for God and others. The deeper you go into the Bible, the more orthodox your doctrine is, the more you should love God and others. Serious, deep, theological study of the Bible should not produce aloof, self-righteous academics who have their head in the clouds and have no time really for real people. It should not produce that. No serious, deep theological study of the Bible should produce serious, deep lovers of God and lovers of people. It should produce people who understand better than anyone God's grace. We know God's grace. We know that we owe God everything. We know that we don't deserve any of this. And so because of that, we don't look down on anyone. Because we're all in the same boat. We're just trying to help other people find what we have found, this undeserved grace of God. The deeper you go into the Bible, the more you love God, the more you love others. And if we can be a church that unites both a rock-solid commitment to biblical doctrine and a culture of self-sacrificing love for one another, then we will have the true unity that the Bible talks about. And this kind of unity cannot be broken by the world's attacks or by Satan's schemes. We will have a unity that is so attractive to the world. If we can unite rich, strong, biblical doctrine with love for one another and love for the outside world, if we can unite those two things, people will see that and they'll be so attracted to it, they'll want to be a part of it because the world is starving for that. And the world only ever gets one or the other, it seems, and neither are the true essence of either one. Because without the one, you can't have the other in true essence. Biblical doctrine and love for one another and love for others. Let everything you do be done in love. If you want unity in your church, then strive to love one another. Now, what does that look like? We're going to flesh it out here in the next couple admonitions from Paul. Verse 15 is is where we find the third. Paul's third exhortation to us in verse 15, where he says that these people, Stephanus and the first converts in Achaia, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. They've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. And so, brothers and sisters, serve one another. Serve one another. Going right along with the charge to do everything in love. When people think of Columbia Christian Church, I want them to think that's a place where they take care of one another. That's a place where they take care of one another. If you are a part of this church family, ask yourself this morning, how can I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ here? How can I serve the body of Christ here? It's going to look different for everyone. Right? It's going to look different for everybody. No two people serve in the same way. And when I say serve, I do not just mean you volunteer on a church day. Right? That's not what we mean. How can we take care of one another? How can we meet one another's needs? How can we check on one another? How can we be in one another's lives? And there will be seasons in your life where you will have to let the body of Christ serve you. Right? We will all go through seasons of our lives not only where we are serving, but we're, where we, we can't really serve as much and we have to let the body of Christ serve us. 
But the question is, how can you devote yourself to serving your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Columbia Christian? Or if you attend another church, I know we have some people here today that attend other churches. If you're a member of another church, how can you devote yourself to serving the saints in your church family? This goes back to spiritual gifts. Remember, spiritual gifts, Paul addresses that all in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. Think about your own spiritual gifts. Think about your own opportunities. What are the opportunities that God has uniquely given you during this time of your life to serve others? Everyone is given different opportunities by God in different seasons of their life. How can you devote yourself to serving the saints during this season? Notice how it says devote yourself there. In verse 15, they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. What does that mean for us? Well, devoting yourself to serving the saints means more than just, I'm going to do something this week for someone in the church. No, devoting yourself to this means you make it your lifestyle, right? I live a lifestyle of serving the brothers and sisters in the church. I live a lifestyle of this. I make it a habit. I make it a regular part of my life. And so ask yourself that. What do I need to do to make this a lifestyle? Not just, I'm going to do something this week because I heard a sermon. This is a lifestyle that we need to embody, serving our brothers and sisters in the church. If you, if you think, well, John, I, I want to do that. I want to be like that, but I haven't really been like that before in my life. I've really kind of only ever attended church and then lived for myself the rest of the time. So how can I start to do this. Well, a good just starting point, just base level starting point is to, when you come to church, come early and stay late. Come early and talk to people when you're here and then stay late and talk to the people who sit around you. Come early and stay late. Get involved in other people's lives. Get into other people's business, so to speak. Get to know the folks who are around you. Get to know the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters here. Come to our Wednesday evening Bible study, because at the Wednesday evening Bible study, we talk every week about prayer requests and the needs of the church family. So you can really get an idea in our Wednesday evening meeting, what's going on in the church and who needs what? How can I meet those needs? Right? We've got a benevolence team here led by Richard Phelps, who every week they ask, okay, what what do we need to do for the, the people in the church? Who has a need that maybe we can all get together and meet? And they do a wonderful job of doing that. You want to join that team? See me. See Richard after church. You can be a part of that. And believe me, they'll, they'll give you opportunities to serve other people. But serve one another. If you want to be a united church, serve one another. And it starts with each of us individually saying, how can I serve my brothers and sisters in the church? Fourth, Paul's fourth admonition or exhortation comes from verse 16. Verse 16, it says, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Be subject to one another if you want church unity. Now, what does that really mean, be subject to one another? I think the best explanation we can find comes from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. This will be up on the screen behind me. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so in this church, what that looks like is you are a church member, one of many church members, but you genuinely convince yourself everyone else in this church is more important than me. Everyone else in this church is more significant than me. 
Jesus lived that out. Remember Jesus coming to the earth, emptying himself, making himself a servant, washing feet, going low, dying for others, giving of his time and effort and energy, going without for the good of others and the glory of God. Right? He lived as if everyone else was more important and more significant than he, even though he was the most important and most significant man that has ever walked the earth. And so as a church, if we can, each individual members of our church, if we can convince ourselves that everyone else in this church is more important than me, everyone else in this church is more significant than me, if we can do that, Satan will never be able to divide this church. If we can think like that. Years ago, there's a, a man that I kind of follow on, uh, on online, and he puts out a lot of good articles and teaching on the Bible. He came out with an article on worship wars. You remember back when worship wars were the biggest thing every church was dealing with? Worship wars, right? All the, the older people and all the younger people are, are in animosity toward one another because we want our preferences and we want our preferences and we want the songs to be you know, softer and slower. We want the songs to be louder and faster and newer and we want to turn on the lights and we want to turn off the lights and we want to have a band and we want to have an organ. Worship wars, right? Well, he came out with an article years ago called Let's Have More Worship Wars. And the idea was this. What if, in a church, the young people started standing up for the preferences of the elderly? What if the young people started saying, we need more songs that they love. We, we need to make sure the instruments aren't so loud that it hurts their ears. And what if, on the other hand, the older people started standing up for the preferences of the young people, saying, we need more new and contemporary songs of their generation? We, we need to make sure that we're catering to their preferences, not just ours. What if everybody started arguing for the preferences of those who were different than them, instead of arguing for our own preferences? What if, in humility, we actually considered others more important than ourselves? Be subject to one another. In other words, when it comes to the life of the church, quit thinking about yourself. When it comes to the life of the church, quit thinking about yourself. Think about others. It's very hard to get offended and hold a grudge against someone if you're simply not thinking about yourself. Mature believers, mature Christians are easily edified and encouraged and difficult to offend. Mature believers are easily edified and encouraged and difficult to offend. But conversely, immature believers are easily offended and difficult to edify and encourage. Be the kind of person who is hard to offend. Be the kind of person where your eyes are just simply not on yourself. Let's take our eyes off of ourselves and be supremely concerned with the glory of God and the good of others. If we can do that, everything else will change. We'll take care of everything else get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the glory of God and the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's fourth. Fifth, Paul's fifth admonition comes from verse 18. Verse 18, Paul talks about these people who have refreshed his spirit and he says, give recognition to such people. Give recognition to one another. 
If we want to be a church that is united, let us give recognition to one another. And so I want to do just a couple things right now. If you are an elder in this church, would you please stand? An elder in this congregation, would you please stand? Church members, these are your elders. These are your elders, church members. Now, I want you to notice, too, that you might not notice as easily because they're in the very back. We've got two of our elders in the very back behind the sound booth because every week, Roger Meadows and and Craig Watson are working sound and doing the video every week. And so we need to recognize those people for doing that work as well. Gentlemen, we recognize you. We thank you for your service. We thank you for your dedication to shepherding the flock of Columbia Christian. Would you go ahead and have a seat? Now, if you are a deacon in this church, would you please stand? A deacon in this church, would you please stand? Now, we have some deacons here who are, are not in this, in this service right now, not in attendance. But these men are your deacons right here. We have other deacons who are not here. Let me just name a few because some of them are actually out in the, the lobby doing security team and things like that. But our deacons are Joey White, Joe Willis, Stephen Keene, Steve Shepard, Dean Adams, Mark Meyer, Bobby Morrison, and Joey Kahn. These are your deacons who have committed their time, who have volunteered part of their lives to serving the different ministries of this church. You guys go ahead and have a seat. We want to recognize such people. We want to honor such people. We want to recognize those who are on staff at our church. Adam Shepard and Clay Turner are usually not in this worship service unless we're having our family days. But Adam Shepard and Clay Turner serve our youth here at the church. They're both youth and family ministers, Adam full-time and Clay part-time. And they're both down with the kids at KidZone right now, serving in that way. Dwayne, my brother to my right over here, Dwayne serves as our music minister and does a wonderful job. And we have two ladies who serve in our office as administrative staff, Carol Meadows and Jenny Begley. Give recognition to such people. There's there's one more group of people that I want to give recognition to, and I'm just going to read the names off of this group. But ever since COVID-19 hit, this group of men here at this church have been doing extra work on top of the work that they were already doing. Double duty. Ever since COVID-19 hit, we've had a group of men who were doing everything they can every week to make sure that when you came to this church building, you felt safe. We're wiping down everything, disinfecting everything, cleaning the building like crazy, making sure that everything is taken care of and everything has is, is got the proper protocols behind it. And these are men who, before COVID-19, were already working to keep us safe as we attended worship and as we came to this church building. But this is our security team. Our security team is made up of Joe Hare, Joey Kahn, Matt Calvert, Dennis Loy, Grant Loy, Chris Bragg, Kurt Klingberg, Joey White, Wayne Ray, Stephen Keene, Trent Miller, Robert Brady, Thomas Buckman, and Chad Barnett. And I don't believe I've missed any. If I have, somebody let me know. But these men serve on our security team. And ever since COVID-19 flared up, they have been working extra hard. And they deserve our recognition for all that they have done in helping us to feel safe as we come into this place. Give recognition to one another, brothers and sisters. Now, when it says that, when it says recognize, give recognition to such people, it does not just mean whenever you have a platform and you can, you can recognize people from the front in front of others. You can do this on your own. It doesn't just mean in a setting like this. Go up and encourage someone 
who has helped you spiritually. Go up and encourage someone that you see especially giving of their time and their energy. This doesn't have to be someone who has a position in this church, just someone who has helped you particularly. Recognize them. Give them encouragement. Send them an encouraging text or a card. Take them out to lunch and tell them what they mean to you, but recognize one another. Give recognition to one another, brothers and sisters. Encourage one another. Our sixth admonition comes from verse 20. Verse 20, where it says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, what I want to do right now is I want everybody to stand and turn to your neighbor. I'm I'm just joking. Just joking. But seriously, you could have fun with this verse during a time of coronavirus, could you not? We could have some fun with this one, right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, one of the first questions that we should ask is, are we just blatantly disobeying Scripture every week as a church? I mean, it's pretty straightforward, it's pretty simple, and none of us are doing it, unless you're like, grandma and grandson or something like that, right? Greet one another with the holy kiss. What's going on here? Well, in the Greco-Roman world, family members would greet one another with a kiss, but no one else. Only family. It wasn't appropriate to do that outside of family. Family members would greet one another with a kiss. So this is a family greeting. And Paul is saying, these are your family members. These brothers and sisters in Christ, they really are. They're your family members. This is a church family. And so when you greet one another, when you come together and you greet one another, it should be a holy family type of greeting. Now, this holy kiss is one of those things that is specific to the culture of the day. We've already seen these things in Scripture before. For example, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, head coverings. We talked about how that was a culturally specific sign of a wife being faithful to her husband and submissive to her husband. Or foot washing. Let's think about that. In the New Testament, we see people washing each other's feet. We don't do that anymore. Why? Well, in that day and in that culture, foot washing was an offering of hospitality and a service that you could give to others in a day where people walked on dirty roads with sandals all the time. Right? Foot washing was a service of hospitality. It's a, something specific to the culture of the day. In the same way, the holy kiss is a family-type greeting specific to the culture of the day. And so the question for us is, how should we greet one another in 2021 in America in such a way that it communicates to outsiders and to one another that you are my family? You are my brother or sister in Christ. No matter our differences, rich or poor, nice clothes, shabby clothes, man or woman, Democrat or Republican, black or white or something else, we are family we are in Christ together and we greet one another as family. The way that we greet one another when we come to church matters. It matters spiritually the way that we greet one another. It probably matters a lot more than many of us have ever thought. If someone attends this church for the first time and they come in 15 minutes early, let's say, and they sit in the back and they're just watching, first time they've ever been here, I want them thinking, what is going on here? Everyone is all up in everybody else's business and all up in everybody else's personal space. Are are all these people related to one another? Now, now I know you kind of are. It's Columbia Christian Church. I mean, it's a very tangled web we weave here with our relationships, and I'm always learning new ones. But that's what I want people thinking, right? Imagine a football team. 
Go to, imagine going to a football game and imagine a football team. You know how that football team greets one another as they come off the field, right? Or before the game's about to begin, right? They're greeting one another. They're, they're hugging. They're slapping. They're pushing. They, they've got all of their, their kind of pregame rituals that they do, but they're greeting one another, kind of like family, right? What if one person on the home team just trots all the way across the field to the other team and starts trying to do that with their team? These guys would be like, what are you, what's wrong with you? Like, this is, these are not your people. You go back and do that with your own people. This is our team, right? They're going to think that's absolutely weird. But when a world watches a church family full of people with all kinds of differences, who outside of a place like this, they think they, they should not even like one another, and they're acting like family. Every week we come in here, this, th- this thing seems like a family reunion every single week. What is this? When others come into this place and see how we greet one another and how we love one another, they should say, like those that Paul mentions in chapter 14, God is really among you. God must be really among you. That's the only explanation. That's the only way something like this could happen. So that the way that we greet one another matters, brothers and sisters. Seventh and finally, Paul's seventh admonition comes from verse 22. He says, if, no, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And so seventh, love the Lord. If we want unity in our church, love the Lord. The greatest commandment of all the commandments, Jesus said, was to love the Lord with everything you have. Pursue the Lord, brothers and sisters. Pursue God. Seek the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16.11 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Seek Him. If we pursue God, everything else will fall into place. If we, every single one of us, pursues God with all we've got, everything else will fall into place. Remember, Matthew 6, Jesus says to people who are worrying about what they would wear, what they would eat, Jesus says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. I'll take care of all the rest. Just seek the Lord. If we seek Him, if we go to His Word so that we can know Him, if we spend time with Him in Bible reading and prayer, if we do all we can to see and behold His glory, then everything else will fall into place. Love the Lord, brothers and sisters. If I can only give you one exhortation of all the seven today, it's this one. Love the Lord. Pursue God. One of the greatest examples we have in Scripture of this is David. David was called a man after God's own heart. We see that heart in Psalm 27, verse 4, where David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David says, I'm about one thing. My life is about one thing. I desire one thing above all else, and it's to see the beauty of the Lord, to be with the Lord, to know the Lord. I want God more than I want anything else. Can we say that this morning? If we can't say that, do you want to be there? 
Do you want to be able to genuinely say that with a clear conscience? I want the Lord more than I want anything else in the whole world. I want God. Just a few verses later, David says in that same psalm, he's speaking to God, he says, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. You've told me to seek your face, God. Now I'm saying, that's exactly what I seek. That's exactly what I want. And if I can just have that, it doesn't matter what else I have or don't have. If I can have that, it's enough. It's more than enough. Everything else will fall into place. Everything else will take care of itself. Love the Lord. Seek the Lord. I want to end with the words of our Lord, Jesus Christ, from his prayer the night before he died. Jesus, in the upper room with his apostles, those closest to him, the night before he died, prayed a prayer for them. It's the longest recorded prayer in Scripture, actually, John 17. But in verse 20, Jesus says this in his prayer. Remember, he's praying to God, he's speaking to God, and he says to God, God, I do not ask for these only. So he's saying, I'm not just praying for the apostles. I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays that we would be one that we would be united, that we'd be one with one another and with God and with Christ. Why? Why did he pray it? He said, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's the ultimate purpose of church unity? What are we going for? Why is church unity so important? Well, it's not just so that we can have good feelings toward each other. Church unity is vital Because when a church is truly united, the world begins to believe that God sent Jesus. The world believes that Jesus was God's Son when they look at the body of Christ united with one another. Jesus says, just as He is in the Father and just as the Father is in Him, that's the way He wants us to be united to one another. There could be no closer uniting. And when the world sees that, that's when they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They come in here and they see people from all walks of life loving one another sacrificially, caring more about the others than they care about themselves, arguing for the preferences of those who are different than them, serving one another, loving one another, being committed to the good of one another and committed to the truth of God's word with all of our differences. And they say, God must be among you. Jesus must really be who he said he was. That's the only way this makes sense. If we can have a church like that, the world will see it and believe that he is God's son. That's what we're after. That's what we're striving for with church unity. And so as we come to the close of not only this sermon, but this sermon series on 1 Corinthians, once again, we go to the Lord in prayer. And we respond to him, each one of us individually, Responding to what God has laid on our hearts. God has spoken to us, now you speak to Him. What do you need to say to the Lord in response to what He just said to you? After we have some time of silent prayer, our individual responses will come back together 
we'll have a time where those who need to respond publicly to God's word can do so. Let's pray together.